Well, my name is Trev, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Urban Grace Church, and I'm super stoked that you guys are here this morning. It's a cold morning, and there's always some suspicion that you will stay home, but you're true Calgarians. I I love it. Um, And it's a big day. There's a lot of reasons people can stay home, and a lot of reasons people... I guess they have to prepare themselves for the big game. I see we got someone representing here. That's, that's kind of nice to see. Um, we'll see whose side God is on much later. Um, but I'll say this. I, I do not believe that God needs to put air into the balls or deflate them. Anyways, that, that's all that I'll say about that. But we're glad that you're here today. And we've actually got much more important things. Um, three or four years from now, no one will rem- remember really as much who won. But you may remember your word. And we're going to talk about the Bible. We're we're using that name interchangeably here this morning, the Bible, the word, God's word, the scriptures. Um, And that's because there's just, there's a lot of different ways that that we can use to describe uh, this particular book. And what I'm not going to do today is give you a lecture on the authenticity of the book and where it comes from and how it was made. Uh, There's actually people that are much smarter than me who can do that for you. Uh, And that's more of a lecture. Um, But let me just get up front and say this, that the Bible as we know it is one of the most reliable ancient manuscripts of all time. If you think for a second that this was just put together flippantly and that somebody said, oh, they made up a bunch of stuff... Uh, you actually haven't done your research very well. Most of uh, the ancient manuscripts do not have nearly half of what we have in terms of authentic manuscripts for the Bible. And so I would just encourage you, if that's a big question for you as to whether or not we could actually trust the Bible, I would say uh, do some research on this and investigate for yourself and you will see actually there's, there's a great reason to believe that this is God's Word. But today we're going we're gonna, to we're going to talk about why we should read it. So we've been encouraging you to read your Bible. And, and for the most part, if, if you're not a Christian or you haven't been part of a, of a Christian church, you still know that Christians are the people that really believe their Bibles, or at least they say they believe their Bibles. Here's what's amazing is that a study that's been done recently in uh, Canada, this is not United States stats, this is in, Can- in Canada, of people who say they're born-again Christians, that means they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they believe He is God, they believe He died, they believe He rose again, they believe that the Bible is true, those same people, 60% of those people never read their Bible during the week. 60%. 6 out of 10 people here, no matter how much we say and encourage you to read your Bible during the week, never pick it up. Outside of maybe a Sunday morning where you hear someone read Scripture, you never pick it up, which tells me that that those are the kind of people that functionally do not believe that God's Word has an impact on their life. And I today want to do my best to give you some reasons as to why that's a huge mistake. We're in a series called The Household. And this series is really kind of as a way of introducing um, our membership um, and, and that's something we'll, we'll talk about it as a, at a later date in the series. And so we're kind of systematically going through different things that we think are really important for you to understand about who we are and why we do them. And, and in many ways, uh, they should overlap a lot of different ways that uh, other churches do things. That's because we're really, we're all part of one big church. And, and speaking of church, as we talk about this series, The Household, we named it that because it's a series about the church. 
And church is described in the Bible as God's called out sent ones. And it's used in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's used locally. So in other words, it's like the church in so-and-so's house. Or the church in a particular city. And it's used very locally. But the church is also used as the church of everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ across the world. And I would just differentiate that between saying the capital C church and the small C church. And so if you're wondering this morning, um, whenever I refer to that, I, I sometimes try and use the capital C church and the small C church. The capital C church is in the church of, uh, of everyone who's ever believed and then the local church, small C church expression of Urban Grace Church. And so that's a, that's a long, long preamble. Hopefully we can get to the stuff that really matters this morning. But let's turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and someone would love to come and bring you a Bible? You, you can tell a little bit of how, what we believe about the Word. We don't give anything away here. We actually ask our people who are involved to give. But one thing we will give away is a Bible. And if, you, if that's your very first Bible, why don't you take that home? Why don't you write your name in it? Underline things um, in it because we think it's important for you to have a Bible. And if you're ever going to come back on a regular basis, you're going to need it. Because we're going to open this Bible over and over and over and over again. And so I want you to turn in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing for you. Actually, I'm just going to get into it and I'll read it as we go along, if that's okay. So if, if you're there in 2 Timothy, if you don't know where that is in the Bible, uh, just look in the table of contents. It's in the last, uh, probably the last at least third of your Bible. It's somewhere in there. It comes right after 1 Timothy. That's why it's called 2 Timothy, and just a little bit of information around who wrote this and who it's to. Uh, who wrote this? A man by the name of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was someone who had actually, uh, he had seen the risen Christ in person. That's what defined the, uh, an apostle. And he wrote this particular letter to a young man who he left in charge of a church that he had started in a place called Ephesus. And this pastor needed a lot of encouragement. He was a fairly young guy and he was fairly timid. And so he wrote this letter. One of the things I love about this letter, they figure, scholars figure, this is one of the last letters he ever wrote. So I, this is my translation of that. He doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care about what he says. He doesn't care about what people think of him anymore. He is willing to tell his young pastor friend whatever it takes Right When you're on your deathbed, you know you're going to be executed. You don't care anymore about what people think of you. You just say it as it is. And so I think we have some of the most blatant things that Paul will ever say. He's not very sensitive in this letter because he's not really worried if he's going to get killed. He's already getting killed. What's another letter going to do to him? And so this is what he has been doing. Paul has been encouraging this young man, Timothy. He says, you have to guard the good deposit. And the good deposit for him is, is the words about Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. He says, guard it. Guard it. This afternoon, some of you will watch a football game. And there are two players on the field called guards. And what do they do? They fend off the blockers. They fend off the blitz, so to speak. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy to do. He's saying, fend off anyone who's going to destroy 
God's word. Fend off anyone who's going to destroy the good news about Jesus Christ. Whenever someone tells you that Jesus doesn't really matter, you fend that off. You guard it. How do you guard it? He says, well, you're going to have to be like a soldier. You're going to have to get up early in the morning like a farmer. You're going to have to fight people off like a soldier. You're going to have to train yourself like an athlete. That's chapter 2. And then chapter 3, he wants to give Timothy a very encouraging pan of the of the state of the union, so to speak. So Paul's going to give him what he thinks is going on in Ephesus. And this is Paul basically telling us what is wrong with us. What is wrong with us? He's describing people that are in great need of something. I, I want to go through these because it's, it's an amazing list. It's an amazing list. It says, but understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Is that, can that come up there, you guys, for me? There we go. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Remember that one. Ungrateful unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You getting the picture yet? Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. What a, what a list. What a state of the union, so to speak. Would you be encouraged if that was your culture being described? Some of you are like, well, that sounds a lot like my culture, doesn't it? Let's go through this list together. They will love themselves. People will be selfish. They will love their money. They will make money and worship it as their God. They will be arrogant. What's arrogant? It's thinking better of yourself than you actually are. They will be abusive. Which means they're harsh with their words. They don't pay attention to the bluntness that they use with their words about things. They're not sensitive to anybody. They will not honor their parents. They will be disobedient to their parents. They will disregard authority in their lives. They will be ungrateful. They're not thankful people. They're unholy. They're not set apart for God. They're, un- they're, they're, they're heartless. They're very unemotional. We've met some of these people, haven't we? They're unemotional about the things that you should be emotional about. Have you ever met someone and you're like, this should move you. This should make you cry or this should make you laugh, but you're just unmoved. They're unemotional people. They're heartless. They have no love in their heart. They're unappeasable. They have no interest in reconciliation. They do not want to sit down with you, look across the table and be reconciled. They don't want to get back together in relationship at all. They're slanderous, which means they speak about other people behind their backs without ever being interested in the problem. They have no sense of restraint, no self-control at all. They can't control themselves in any way. They are brutal. They're just harsh people. Have you met a harsh person? At times they're hard to be around, right? It's just... Okay, I know, I know that you're saying that, but it's just so harsh. They're, they don't love good. 
they're treacherous, which means that that's where we get the word treason. They're disloyal people. They'll drop you the moment you don't do them any good. They're reckless. They're careless with their words and with their actions. They don't understand sometimes how deep, painful these things are. They think they are way better than they are, swollen with conceit. They love the feeling of pleasure more than they love God. Here's what's amazing about this list. One of the scholars says, notice the word love over and over and over again. Four times it's used in the passage. They love what? Here's the problem. They love the wrong things. That's basically the list. They love the wrong things. They love, but they love the wrong things. So this, this, this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question, do you want to be more loving? I, I have never heard anyone say, like, we don't need more love. Unlike what the Beatles tried to tell us over and over again, we don't need more love in this world. We need less. You go anywhere in our culture, and they will all tell you they need more love. But the question our text is asking this morning is, what kind of love? Because if it's just any kind of love that we can define, it, it, would it be this kind of love, the love of self? I'd love to hear that song. All we need is selfless love where I don't get my way. All we need is the kind of love where I put myself third or fourth and someone else first. No one's come out with a great song like that recently, have they? Because that's not the kind of love we're prepared to have. And here's what's the crazy thing, is that these unloving people, these people that love themselves, here's what it says in the Word, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Guess who he's talking about? He's not talking about the, the culture. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the people who say they believe in God. He's talking about the people who say they believe in Jesus Christ as God. He's saying, this church that you're going to be part of, you will find this in them in the last days, meaning basically from Jesus on to the end of eternity. These are the kind of people that will look like Christians, but they're not really because they deny the power of God in their own lives. How scary is that? you're a visitor here this morning and you're not a Christian, this text isn't really talking about you. If you are a Christian here this morning, this text may be talking about you. How scary is that? And Paul, like I said, he doesn't care what people think anymore. He's ready to say, hey, you're going to come across churches, people who believe in Jesus that are very unloving. And they say with their mouths that they love Jesus. They say these things, but their bodies and their actions and their thoughts all deny the reality of a Jesus Christ who changes people's lives. It's a very dismal future. Nobody's laughing here this morning. It's not a fun way to begin the morning. Super Bowl Sunday. Hey, we all have a love problem. Ask yourself this morning if this list doesn't apply many times to you. That you say, yeah, I, I need more love. And yeah, actually, my love has been so misdirected. I have loved the wrong things. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do? Well, thankfully, thankfully, Paul, even though he is writing his last letter, 
he wants to give a solution. And so he says, he says to his young friend, his young pastor friend, Timothy, he says, Timothy, you got to stand firm. If you want to be loving, if you want to turn this thing around, if you want to find love in your heart, the kind of love that you should have, you've got to stand firm. You've got to stand firm. Uh, go, go down, there's, there, there's more in that text, but I, I can't really get to it. He just uses an example of someone who is in the Old Testament who opposed anyone who preached God's Word. And it says in verse 10, it says, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my purpose. You, you know my mission statement. You know the vision statement on the wall of my prison cell. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Is this Paul saying like how good he's been or how much he's gone through? No, he's, he's saying, Timothy, if you want to stand firm, you have to look at what I did. How many of us are bold in our faith that way? Hey, if you want to know what it's like to be a Christian, just watch me and you'll be able to pick it up. I'll be able to teach you through what I say and through what I do. That's a powerful statement. And what Paul is really saying here is, as you know I believe this. You know I believe this. If you looked at my life, I'm not talking out of my ears here. This is reality for me. I have stood firm. I have kept the faith. I have been patient. I'm in a prison cell. And I'm writing this to you. Indeed, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, he said, so, so the people that stand firm, they, they move forward. They go forward. And the people in the first list, they just go backwards. You know, sometimes we think that we can be so neutral when it comes to belief, but the reality is we cannot be neutral when it comes to belief. We are moving forward in our faith or we're moving backward in our faith. And you know this because you've probably experienced it. You shelter yourself from God's Word. You stop praying. You stop spending time with Christians. You stop receiving God's Word and you go backwards. It happens to me. It happens to you. So if you're going to stand firm, if you're going to go forward, first of all, he said, just know if you're going to go forward, you're going to face persecutions. But we were on a trip where we viewed persecuted people. They were not persecuted for any other reason than they simply believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And they faced persecution for that. We live in a culture that won't necessarily persecute us by death, but they will persecute us for following God's Word by laughing at us, by telling us we're ridiculous. You believe that thing? You believe that? Are you serious? You bet your life on this stuff? How do you even know this is true? You go to that church? Paul says, no matter what, 
If you ever follow God's word in actuality, you'll get persecuted. There's no choice in this. There's not a decision that you can make when you follow God's word. When you pay attention and believe that this is really the word of God, that God breathes his life into this book, you will not get a culture that says, great, good for you. You will get a culture that says, that's ridiculous. That only works for you. But it could never work for me. So he says, watch. Look at me. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. This is what's amazing. Lystra is Timothy's hometown. Paul probably, or Timothy probably saw Paul come into Lystra, preach the gospel, and it's, it's at Lystra where Paul got stoned and chased out of the city for preaching the word. Timothy might have seen this with his own eyes. He might have watched Paul. In fact, some scholars would say that's maybe where Timothy said, man, if he's willing to die for that, I'm interested in what that's about. I want to know, Paul, why, why would a guy who used to persecute people, and that's who Paul was, he was stoning people who believed God's word and that Jesus was the Messiah in God's word. He was formerly stoning that person and killing those people, and, and in a charge to murder them and martyr them, and then God one day knocked him off his donkey and said, you are persecuting the wrong person. He said, don't persecute Christians. They're part of me. They're part of my bride. And Paul did a 180. And, and, and God said to Paul, Paul, you're now going to go preach the gospel, and people are going to stone you. For the gospel. And Timothy might have seen that with his own eyes. I tell you, think about that for a second. Some of you, you've been in a car accident or you've seen a car accident or you've seen even just something as simple as a street fight and you don't forget that stuff, do you? And you see some of that stuff and you're like, oh no, I got all those memories are like just such a vivid. Man, if you saw someone getting stoned to death and chased out of the city, you would not forget that. That would be burned and etched into your memory. And so what Paul is doing is saying, Timothy, hey, come on, you've seen this man. You know I'm not just, I'm not just making this stuff up. You know I'm not just here to tell you some kind advice about maybe the direction that you and your church should go. He's saying, Timothy, in the last days, godlessness. People will say they're Christians. People will tell you they're Christians. People will go to church. People will sit in pews. They'll sing songs. They'll raise their hands. They'll read their Bibles. And their lives will not be impacted. You've got to stay firm. You've got to stay firm. Well, how are we going to stay firm, friends? How are we going to stay firm? How do we do it? And here's where the real crux of the letter comes in. Right there in verse 15 and 16. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, sacred writings, God's word, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Let me read it in the NLT. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, with, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, he says, and how they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good work that God wants us to do. Let's go back to the beginning. You want to be more loving? You don't want to be like this group of people that you see in the text? You don't want to be people that just say they believe with their mouths, but in their hearts they don't believe? He said, you have to know the Word. How, how wild of a statement is that? You can't be loving unless you know God's Word. How's that for a statement on love? You can't possibly be a loving person without knowing God's Word. Has anyone told you that before? I'm telling you that today. You cannot love anyone but yourself without God's Word somehow working in your heart makes sense to you a little bit as to why we believe and open this thing each week. We believe that. We don't want you to read your Bible so that you can download another, another app. We want you to read your Bible so you know how to love. We don't want you to read your Bible because the rest of us are reading the Bible and it's a mob mentality around here and we're just trying to coerce you into the rest of what the mob is doing. We want you to know who Jesus is and we don't think you can unless you know God's Word. It's able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing that we see. It's the first thing we see. Is that the Bible leads us to Jesus. Always. The Bible leads us to Jesus. You say, well, I don't always see Jesus in the Bible. I know, it takes time to see Jesus in the Bible. Sometimes you actually have to read it. And it takes effort. And there are things that you don't initially see. And I think sometimes that's because we're just so resistant. We just kind of say, well, I don't really get anything out of it, but I'll, I'll read it anyways. What if you went into it going like, Jesus... You said this was your word. You said you'd speak to me directly. You said you'd make yourself known to me through your scriptures, Jesus. I'm going to read it and find you. I'm not going to talk a lot about Bible reading plans. I, I, I would encourage you, like, again, Google it. <laughs> YouTube it. There's lots of stuff out there on how to read your Bible, but I can guarantee you, if you want to know how to read your Bible, you can. That's what I do know. Just like if you want to know what people are doing in their design-wise, you don't sit there and go, boy, it sure would be nice to know the contemporary designs in the world right now. No, you go to Pinterest. And you look, and you scroll down, and you pin things. You know how to find out how to do things. And so do I. And all I'm saying is, if you really want to do this, you can. I know you can. And we in the West have so many tools. 
We're so wealthy. But when you begin to assume that Jesus is speaking through His Word, you begin to see it all over the place. In John 5.39, there were a bunch of teachers of the law and they came up to Jesus and, 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 and Jesus finally said to them, hey, you search through the Scriptures and you think it's all about a bunch of morality. He said, that's why the Scriptures really don't have any power in your life. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Just by reading this, you have eternal life. He said, that's not true. This is my Word and that they bear witness these Scriptures bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying, these Scriptures will lead you to me. That's why you're having so much trouble is that these Scriptures are about me. One of the very first things that Jesus did after He rose again was He traveled on a road from from where He was on the way to Emmaus. And He shielded people's eyes. This is the resurrected Jesus and He shielded their eyes from seeing who He was. And on the journey, He just began unpacking. He'd He'd take an Old Testament Scripture and He'd say, oh, Scripture, let me show you how that's about me. Let's, let me show you how that's about Jesus. Let me show that that's, how the, that's, how, that's about Jesus. And at the end of the walk, He unveiled their eyes. So they saw, oh, the person who was leading us to Jesus was Jesus. <laughs> Why do you, I say that I know that Jesus will lead you to Himself? Because Jesus equated Himself with His Word. He said, The Word, I am the Word become flesh. That's what we study at Christmas time. The incarnation. God tabernacling amongst us. God moving Himself amongst us. The Word, the Old Testament Scriptures becoming flesh in a person that He might explain them all. My Bible reading plan is taking me through Exodus right now and because I know that Jesus that these Scriptures are all about Jesus, I am amazed. Because the part that I'm reading is pretty boring by many standards. It's all about sacrifice and what the priest has to wear. And how there's a special place for God. And this special place for God has all these things. Moses goes up to the... Moses is a man who speaks for God. And he goes up on the mountain and he hears 40 days and he comes down with a bunch of architectural plans for a tent. And I'm like, what? 40 days? Well, yeah, if you read Exodus like 25 through 33, you see it's just filled with all kinds of architectural designs. And I was thinking, what value would this have just to read in and of itself? And then I find out that the New Testament says that Jesus makes us into His tabernacle. Whoa! So the Old Testament takes seven chapters and talks about all these plans and then says in the New Testament, you're like my tabernacle. My plans, I want to have a plan for your life. I'm coming into your life. My presence is inside of you as a person. I've got details I want to give to you. All of a sudden I was like, well this makes a lot of sense now why you would draw this out. And then you, you can read in Leviticus. That's one of the most boring places in all of Scripture. If you ever want to fall asleep sometime, read Leviticus. 
I'm not saying that in any way desecrating the word because it doesn't really make sense until really you begin to understand that all of these sacrifices are wiped out through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so a whole book about how you have to cut this person, you know, have to cut this, this poor animal's neck and you have to watch it suffer and you have to place your hand. Can you imagine that? That kind of system where you place your hand on an animal's head and then someone else severs its neck as it dies and its blood is shed and you just have this grotesque feeling inside and you're like, oh, this is disgusting. And this is terrible that some poor animal, has all the PETA people are like going crazy right now. No wonder they don't believe, right? And you pl- place their hand, you see that death. And then you hear, that doesn't need to happen anymore because Jesus, His blood was shed once and for all. His body was broken once and for all. You believe in Jesus and you don't ever need to place your hand on any animal and ever slaughter them again. All of the Scriptures lead to Jesus. All of them do. What else does the Bible do? The Bible convicts us. Some of you don't like the Bible because it doesn't say what you want it to say. Anyone, anyone not really like the Bible at times? And you're like, man, this thing just doesn't say what I expect it to say. It doesn't say what I want it to say. So many people are like, I don't like the Bible because I like to think of God like this. Yeah, that's exactly why it's the Bible. And so here's what I can say. You can expect that the Bible will contradict you. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I believe it is the Bible. is because it doesn't go along with the way that we think. Very against how we think. We like to think of ourselves as awesome. Right? Amen? I'm awesome. Just ask me. You know what the Bible says? You're in need of help. You know what the bookstore says? You're a pretty good person and for the most part you're born basically innocent and and you do a few bad things. You know what the Bible says? You're born into sin and if you don't get help, you could face hell. Doesn't sound like a book that just goes along with the natural way that we like to feel about ourselves. We like to feel of God as like someone who comes along and pats us on the head and pats our bottoms and says, good job, little one. And the Bible says, if you don't get right with God, He's angry. Lots of times we don't like, we don't like the picture of God that we see in Scripture. And again, I've had that conversation numerous times with people. I don't like the Bible because I like to think of God of this. Of course you do. Everyone does. But this is why you need the Bible is because who else is going to contradict you and tell you how it is? Don't you love that about little kids? I got little kids. I got a six-year-old. I got an 11-year-old. Both of them tell me how it is. Anyone ever run into a kid? And they just tell you how it is, right? If there's something on your face, they'll tell you. There's none of this social awkwardness where we're just like, should I tell you you have a big piece of banana on your face or no? A kid will just go, what's that? Right? Why do you talk so loud? Why do you wear so much makeup? They'll just say stuff like that all the time. You know what the Bible says? Exactly the way we are. And if you don't have Scripture, you can't tell the way you really are. Your friends may never be bold enough to tell you how it really is, but God's Word is not afraid to tell you how it really is. All have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. Everyone needs a Savior. I have only come for the sick, not for those who are well. I am. I am. That's end of statement. What kind of God comes in your face and says, I am. I always was. I always will be. I don't care how you think you know how things are. Before you even existed, I was. So the Bible says about God. The Bible also says the remedy. So Scripture con- corrects us. That's the word that I use is to make straight. We're, we're crooked in our way of living. We're crooked in our way of thinking. The Bible corrects us. We're crooked in, in the directions we have toward love and the Bible corrects us. We're crooked in the way that we think about God and the Bible corrects us. We're crooked in the way that we think Jesus is just a really nice guy and he, he should just stop while he's ahead. The Bible says he's the son of God. He's in charge. He's authority in, on the universe and one day, whether you like it or not, you're going to bow down to him. The Bible corrects us. What else does the Bible do? Well, thankfully, the Bible encourages us. Amen? There's lots of ways. In fact, there's more ways the Bible encourages us than it corrects us or convicts us or straightens us out. Because the Bible also says there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. Meaning that your culture will give you the words that say, Yeah, look at that person. You'll never fit up to the standard of God. And God's word says, you don't need to fit up to the standard. You just need to believe in Jesus Christ who fit the standard perfectly. So how do I I even know that I'm, I'm even loved? Well, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Any of you give your child away to pay for someone else's wrongdoing? I mean, some of you are kind of loving, but would, would any of you go that far? That you would give away your only child in order that someone else's life might be saved? I, I know I would not do that. I'm sorry. I, I'd like you all, but I don't like you that much. But God did. For God so loved the world, the people of the world, that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not die, but will have eternal life. I can guarantee you that even if that doesn't feel like anything to you, if next week you find out you have cancer and you have one week to live and you don't know what's going to happen to you after you die, that will encourage you. It'll encourage you if you have a parent who's passed away who believes in Jesus. It'll encourage you if you have a spouse. It'll encourage anyone who's ever thought, what's going to happen to me at the end of my life? That Jesus says, hey, you don't need to worry. If you believe in me, you don't experience death. You experience life. And I'm not with you right now because I'm making a place where you can experience me for eternity. The New Living Translation says, all Scripture encourages us. And it translates the phrase, 
even in the next chapter there, chapter 4, verse 2, encourage your people with the word. You see, I could have talked this morning about preaching, that this is an important part of what we do, and it is. And it is. But you can't preach if you don't believe that the word actually has something to say to us and that it's not relevant. And so obeying 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, to, to preach this word and to be ready to teach it, it won't do any good if you don't believe that it is breathed out by God. I love that. All scripture is breathed out by God. You ever been close enough to me to smell my breath? It's terrible. That's why I got lots of mints in my bag. I got them in my pocket right now. As soon as I'm done preaching, I pop them in because I know if I get close to you, you're going to get coffee breath. And I, I just want to apologize publicly to you for that. Okay, I'm sure I have chronic halitosis. I'm positive. If you get close enough to this word, you will feel the breath of God in it. You can, you can smell God's breath if you get close enough to this word. You can feel His white hot holiness. You can feel His white hot love for you. You can feel the passion that He has for His children. You can see the wrath that He has towards sin. You can feel all that stuff when you get into God's Word. And it guards us, lastly. It guards us. And that's what Paul says. It equips and guards you. And that's actually from the very beginning of the book of 2 Timothy. He says, guard the good deposit. Guard it. And it guards and regards. John Stott said this, and I'll call the band up right now. We're finished for the morning. He says, for all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again in your place for your sins. He says, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp of the gospel, fumbling it, in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. Again, this is kind of almost cryptic that this is on Super Bowl Sunday. You've got the ball in your hands, friends. You do not drop the rock. You've got the gospel in your hands. You've got God's word in it. Do not drop this. Do not fumble it. Do not let this go. Just sit idly on your shelf. Do not keep it on your Bible. Do not just read this. This is God's word. A new generation of young Timothys, he says, are needed who will guard the sacred deposit of the gospel, who are determined to proclaim it and are prepared to suffer for it, and who will pass it on pure and uncorrupted to the generation which in due course will rise up and follow them. I guess we'll see in 20 to 25 years if we have really believed God's word or not. Because if we haven't, we probably won't have a church. But if we have, Jesus said, I will never let my word Return void to me. Every time my word is important to a church, it makes an impact. And so friends, as we, as we come to our response time, you've heard from God's word, hopefully. You've heard God's word to you. And now there's a time for you to reflect and respond. If you believe God's word is 
what it says it is, and you believe God's word, then you will know that God's word says that Jesus paid a price for you whether you believe it or not. And that he came to this earth whether you believe it or not. That he lived a perfect life whether you believe it or not. That he died an unjust death. He died at the hands of guilty people. An innocent man died at the hands of guilty people. And that that price that was paid was the price that should have, you should have paid and I should have paid. And he says, every time you gather, if you believe this, I want you to remember it. And that's what we do. We call it the family meal, the household meal. Where we simply say, hey, do you believe this? And if you don't believe it, friends here, I, I don't want you to come up and partake. And here's why. is because this is for those who will stake their life on this. This is not for those who just want to add some religious ceremony to their lives. It's not to say that we don't want you to partake. In fact, I would say, if you feel you can't partake, what's holding you back? Jesus says, repent and believe. And I will give you eternal life. I am faithful and just to forgive those who simply say, well, the Bible says I'm a sinner, and so I need to say I'm sorry, and I need Jesus to change my life. And so if that's you here this morning, I invite you to come and to partake and to be reminded and then through the songs as we sing, would you think through the songs? Because these songs are based upon the Word of God. And so let's come and celebrate.